You know, during times like these of significant uncertainty and unrest, we can wonder, can God still work through me during these difficult times? Will God still work through me? And I believe the answer is yes. And I believe that the way he'll do that is the way he did that through the Apostle Paul. And that was through humility. And so we're going to look at Acts 21 today. But a couple of things by way of announcement. First of all, happy Father's Day. If you're a dad like me, I hope this is a day that you are celebrating the blessing of being able to be a father. And if you uh, have a father nearby or even far away, I hope you reach out to him and thank him and show your appreciation and your honor for him. One last thing, hopefully you heard earlier this week that we are beginning our in-person worship services on Sunday, July 12th. And we're really looking forward to that. We're working very hard to make that happen. Continue to pray for us as we work out all the details. But I also wanted to invite you to stop by uh, really any campus that's near you. You don't have to stop by the campus you attend and pick up one of these signs. We're using these, uh, these lawn signs as ways to invite people to visit our website, to perhaps enjoy a worship service. We actually intend to have the online worship services continue and to overlap for some significant period of time after we begin in-person worship services. And so consider stopping by one of the campuses and picking up one of these signs and placing them in your yard. Whether you're a part of our church family and have been for a long time, or you're a guest and maybe this is the first time you're joining us, we're glad you're here. Listen to these words from Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. So let's do that today through song. joy you are my joy you are my song you are the well the one I'm drawing from you are my refuge my whole life long where else would I go surely my God is strength of my soul your love defends me your love defends me and when I feel like I'm all alone your love defends me your love defends me day after day day after day, night after night, I will remember you're with me in this fight. And although the battle, it rages on, for it's already won. This is, I know the
strength of my soul. Your love defends me. Your love defends me. And when I feel like I'm all alone, your love defends me. Your love defends me. Surely my God is the strength of my soul. Your love defends me. Your love defends me. Mercy is 
kept a record of all our sins who could stand for they are many but with you is forgiveness with you is mercy God it's not mercy that's equal to our sins it's greater and beyond how we praise you and thank you for who you are and your great mercy in Jesus name amen Well, if you're anything like me, and by like me, I mean if you haven't been living under a rock for the past six months, you'd probably agree with me that these are some of the most uncertain times, some of the most daunting times of unrest in so many different areas that we've ever experienced in our entire lives. And during times like these, when so much seems to be uncertain, so much seems to be shut down or put on hold, we need to remember that that's not the case with God. Like, we need to remember that the Holy Spirit doesn't have a pause button. You know that, right? Like, like that nothing shuts down God. He doesn't have a reopening plan because he never shut down. Now, earlier this week, you heard the good news that we're excited to restart our in-person Sunday morning worship services on Sunday, July 12th. And we can't wait. And we're working feverishly to make that happen. But here's the thing. If we, the people of God, think that God needs a, a building or a certain political climate or uh, any such thing. He needs circumstances to change in order for him to work. Then I would suggest we may not be as familiar with our Bibles as we think we are. Because here's the thing. There is no pandemic, no season of uncertainty, no time of unrest that halts the work of God. And so we're going through the book of Acts, and today we find ourselves in Acts chapter 21. So turn there, if you would please, Acts chapter 21. Uh, And while you do that, let me give you a little bit of a refresher as to where we are in the book of Acts. Prior to this point, Paul was consumed for many months and lots of time spending it on the road and collecting an offering throughout Greece and Asia Minor, through the churches there, to bring to the church at Jerusalem so that they could care for the poorest among them and also so that this would be a sign of unity that existed between Jew and Gentile for the very first time after years, centuries even, of ethnic prejudice that existed between these two groups in a very strong, very tense, very hostile way. This is also a transitional period for Paul and his ministry because not long after this, Paul's public ministry would essentially come to an end because Paul is about to be arrested. So we're not there yet, but this is basically the end of Paul's public ministry. And after that, he would be arrested and become the ambassador in change that he refers to himself as in Ephesians chapter 6. But to prove the point I made earlier... There's no pause button on the work of God, the spirit of God, on the gospel at all. Because even while in chains, even while locked up in a prison, 
Paul still serves the Lord. He writes what we know as the prison epistles, and he writes to the, to the Ephesians, to the Colossians, to the Philippians, and he writes to Philemon. And we are blessed with those books in our Bible today. So we're in Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse 17. Follow along as I read aloud. This is what the Word of God says. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They're all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Before we take a closer look at how Paul functioned during this transitional period of his ministry and how he handled this particular situation, I want to read to you about what one certain commentator had to say about this particular time period in which Paul found himself. He said, this is, quote, a time of intense Jewish nationalism and political unrest. One insurrection after another rose to challenge the Roman overlords, and Felix brutally suppressed them all. This only increased the Jewish hatred for Rome and inflamed anti-Gentile sentiments. It was a time when pro-Jewish sentiment was at its height, and friendliness with outsiders was viewed askance, end quote. And so the time period that we're looking at was a time of political unrest between a large portion of the citizenry and the government, as well as a time of significant tension due to ethnic prejudices that had existed for years and years and years before this moment. Now, it's not 2020 in America, but I think you would agree that it's not altogether all that different. And so as we look to the Word of God, we're grateful that we're looking at a portion of the Word of God that is speaking to people like us with problems like ours. It's a different time. It might have looked a little, little different, but it's people like us with problems like ours. And yet, even throughout all of this time, Paul was still greatly used by God during this unsettling time of unrest. I think if we look at how God was pleased to use him and maybe why God was pleased to use him, we might also get some pointers for how we can be used by God during this most uncertain time of our lives instead of just sitting on the sidelines waiting for things to improve in our culture or waiting things to improve in our lives. So first, uh, the first point is this. You need to point to God and not yourself. You need to point to God and not yourself. Pick it up in verse 19. 
Uh, It says this, After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And so Paul shows up. He doesn't just say, hey, God's been really good and it's really good to be here. Like, I'm, I'm happy to see you guys. No. Look at the text. Verse 19 says he related what? One by one. This is a, a detailed, specific retelling of what had happened in his ministry in recent days. But not in boasting at what he had accomplished. He wasn't boasting in himself. He was specifically telling them what? Verse 19. The things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. You see, we look back at Paul and we're really impressed by Paul. He's a hero of the faith for sure. He's the author of 13 of 27 books in the New Testament. We look back at Paul and we think this guy's a really big deal. But you need to understand this. Paul was not amazed by Paul. You know that, right? Paul was not amazed by Paul. We might be impressed by him, but he was not very impressed with Himself, He knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that what was happening was God working through him. You see, not far from Paul's mind was the fact that he used to hunt down Christians. He used to persecute them. He used to kill them. And so he knows where he ate his breakfast, right? He knows where he came from. And he's realizing, I used to kill Christians. Now I'm converting people to Christianity. This is not just a slight career change or Paul deciding to improve his life. His life has been drastically changed, and through no significant effort of, him, of his own, God did this. God met him on the road to Damascus. God changed his heart and his mind and changed his values and gave him a love for the Christ that he once persecuted. And so we might be impressed by Paul, but Paul was not very much impressed by Paul. Paul knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that this was God working through him. It's in your outline, but Paul says something similar in the book of Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 17. He says this, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. And so here's how Paul rolls. God works through Paul, and Paul brags on God. That's what we see throughout the New Testament. God works through Paul, and Paul brags on God. Paul is just a a pipeline, if you will, that, that God pumps his saving grace, his sanctifying grace through so that it would go through Paul to other people. And whether we're in peacetime or wartime, whether we're in prosperity or, or, or poverty, God always works through people who would be the least likely to be used. That's Paul, right? Converted terrorist, now evangelist. He works through people who would be the least likely to be used and who will make the most of him. God works through Paul and Paul brags on God. And what was the result? Look at Acts 21 and verse 20. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And so let's just stop here and say, what about you? What about you? When you speak about your life, do you do so in such a way that people leave thinking about you and your accomplishments and your skills and what you've done in order to get yourself at that place? Or do they leave thinking about God? Do they leave hearing about what has happened in your life and have a greater understanding of who God is and how he works through people like you? 
Or do they leave thinking more about you? Do they leave that conversation thinking, wow, she's amazing. I don't know how she did that. She's so skilled. He's so talented. He's so gifted. She's so, she has such a hard work ethic. Or do they leave thinking, wow, God has really blessed this person. God has worked through this person in a mighty way. Because what they should do is hear about what you're saying. You should talk about the great things that are happening in your life. That's a great thing. But use those opportunities to point to God, to reflect him, to talk about what God is doing in you and through you so that people might hear it even as they heard Paul and glorify God as a result. God didn't work through Paul because Paul was amazing. God worked through Paul and Paul bragged on God. Now, afterward, as we move on through the text, the elders presented him with a problem and a suggested solution, which, in my opinion, proves that they weren't, like, starstruck by Paul because they heard what Paul had told them, and they were like, that's great. They glorify God. They're like, hey, listen, we got a problem, and here's what we want you to do. So it's not that they were so starstruck by him that they couldn't ask him for a favor because immediately they bring to him a problem. Pick it up in verse 20. It says, and when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, literally, they glorified God, boom, they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Okay, so let's just talk about this for a minute because there's several things here that I want to point out and explain. They say, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. So these are believing Jews. Okay, these are Christians who are Jewish in heritage, but Christian in their faith. Believing Jews. And uh, Luke says here, they are all zealous for the law. I want to explain to you what he means by that. They're all zealous for the law. That means not that they're looking to the law to be saved. Not at all. Remember, they're believers. They've put their faith, they've put their trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. But because they now have a love for Christ that they never had before, because they now have an understanding of what God did for them through Jesus Christ, they're more zealous for the law than anything. Not so they can earn brownie points with God, but so that they can live a life of obedience, that they can live a life of worship. They're like, now we want to obey, but for a totally different reason. And so these are Jewish believers who are zealous for the law, not because they're trusting in the law, but because they're trusting in Christ and they want to be obedient believers who are working hard not to earn their salvation, but in response to their salvation. Verse 21 says, they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. So Paul was being accused of teaching Jewish Christians to completely abandon their Jewish heritage. Now, we have to realize this, that nowhere in the New Testament, particularly in this, uh, this transitional time, right? This transitional time in the first century church, Jewish Christians are not commanded to completely abandon what they used to do. What we see in the book of Galatians is something different. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes to say, 
don't bring Judaism into the Gentiles' lives. These people never had this heritage. They never had this heritage that they're coming out of. They don't have to become Jewish first to become Christian second. Not at all. And so Paul writes a large portion of the book of Galatians, rebukes the apostle Peter to his face aloud in front of people, saying, stop trying to make Christians Jewish first before they become Christians. They don't have to do that. Jewish people do that because they have a heritage that they're living in, and now they're living in that heritage and practicing those things for a different reason. But don't make Gentile people do this who never had to do this before. And so hopefully that's not too confusing. This is the point that I want to make. Nowhere in the New Testament are Jewish believers told that immediately what they have to do is forsake all of their Jewish heritage. That's not true at all. And besides the fact this would not become a problem throughout uh, Christendom because quickly as the gospel was spreading, it was becoming, Christianity was becoming more of a Gentile religion than a Jewish religion for sure, right? So uh, now this is not really a problem, but the Jewish believers at that time thought Paul was telling them they had to abandon everything about their heritage. And so that brings us to point number two. How to be used by God during a time of significant unrest You need to point to God and not to yourself. But point number two, you need to participate with others and not necessarily defend your prestige. See, what Paul was being accused of teaching here was completely false. And what Paul could have done is he could have easily like said, hey, let's play Mythbusters. I could debunk these myths in a second. I could prove these people wrong in a skinny minute. This is not hard for me to do. And I put in your outline three things, just three things that Paul could have said but didn't. But these would have been accurate. Paul could have said, hey, if I really taught this, why did I have Timothy circumcised, right, back in Acts 16? If I really thought that we needed to just totally abandon our Jewish heritage, why would I tell Timothy that he should be circumcised in order to minister well among the Jewish believers? Or how about this? If I really believe this, why would I have taken a Nazarite vow, right, because he did that in Acts chapter 18? If I believe that Jews need to abandon their heritage, why would I have done that? And furthermore, how can I be accused of both advocating for circumcision, but then also abrogating it? Like it's one or the other. It cannot be both and. These would have been accurate defenses for Paul to have said, to defend who he was, to clear his name of this false accusation. And you know what Paul did? Paul said none of them. Absolutely none of them. Why? Because he wasn't primarily concerned with what people thought of him. He didn't care about clearing his reputation. His greatest concern was to do whatever he could do to reconcile people with God through the gospel. People with God through Jesus Christ. And so in his mind, in his value system, in his order of priorities, he put himself last. He might have been falsely accused, but you know what? He didn't feel the need to stand up and clear his name. He didn't primarily uh, care about protecting his prestige, about making sure that he had a good reputation. He didn't want to take these people to task and just be right. He wanted to be used. And so Paul does something completely different. He actually participates in what he's being asked to do. He doesn't say, I don't have to do this. I'm not going to take a vow. I'm not going to participate with these people. I'm not going to try to prove something to them. They can think whatever they want. No, he doesn't do that. In fact, he lives up to what he teaches in Romans chapter 14. He prefers the weaker brethren among them, which would have been the Jewish believers. Instead of trying to convince them of something, he decides to take what I think is really the higher road by putting himself lower, by being humble and by being obedient to God 
in doing what he's doing by seeking to reconcile people with God through Jesus Christ. And sometimes that can be costly, which brings us to point number three. You need to pay a price, not protect what's yours. So pick it up in verse 23 and take a look at what they're asking him to do. Verse 23, do, not asking, telling actually. Look at verse 23. Do therefore what we tell you. Do this. Uh, we have four men who are under a vow. Uh, take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. So understand what's being said here. They say, do therefore what we tell you. We got four men who are under a vow. Take these men, they're going to go into the temple, and they're going to go through a purification ritual because they've taken a Nazarite vow. And they are, which is a vow that indicated like ultimate devotion to God, ultimate separation from, 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 from life and ungodliness. But these are people who are hardcore going after the Lord. And the usual time for that vow was 30 days. We read later in, the, uh, in this chapter that this was actually just for seven days. But that's the type of vow that these four men are under. And what they had to do in order to go under that vow, one of the things they had to do was to shave their heads. But they couldn't just shave their head like I shaved my head this morning. That wasn't the thing that they were doing. They needed to go into the temple and what they needed to do was have their head shaved in a certain way as part of the ritual. And in order to do that, they had to pay money. And the cost was very high. So understand what these people are telling Paul to do. They're saying, here's what we think you should do so that the people won't think that you really teach these things that they falsely accuse you of. We need you to go into the temple. We need you to go and uh, purify yourself along with these four who are already under a vow. And also, P.S., we would like you to pay their way into this purification ritual. Not once, not twice, but for all four of these individuals. So think about Paul. What could Paul have said? Paul could have said, uh, no. Yeah, I'm not going to do that because I just spent like weeks and months on the road traveling around and around ministering to Gentiles who really, quite frankly, accepted the gospel, didn't have this baggage of the law, baggage of Talmudic traditions, all this other stuff. It's fine. The gospel's going forward. If they have a problem, they can deal with it on their own. I'm not going to go and purify myself. I don't have to purify myself in front of God. I feel plenty pure thanks to Jesus Christ. Thank you very much. And I'm not going to pay for these people who are under a vow. I'm not going to do that thing. So I just collected all of this stuff. I gave it to you. And this is the thanks I get? I, I don't need to do that. You're not the boss of me. I'm going to leave and I'm going to do. I've done my deed. I've given you the offering. Now I'm just going to leave. Thank you very much. You deal with the people. I don't care if I'm being falsely accused. But that's not what Paul does. That's not his attitude. Paul realizes that there is a price to pay for living for Jesus Christ. And he realizes that top of mind for him should not be what is his, protecting what is his, his time, his reputation, in this case, his money. But he sees himself as something better than just somebody who's trying to protect what's his. He sees himself as an ambassador of reconciliation. And so he does it. Skip down to verse 26. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. 
I put it in your outline from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is what Paul says. He says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Uh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's how Paul saw himself. Just a pipe through which God can work through. And so when he spoke about his ministry, he pointed to God, not to himself. And he's willing to participate with others in ways that he doesn't have to do, but he wants to make much of Christ, and so he does. He's willing to pay a price that he really shouldn't have to pay in and of himself, but he's doing this because he's not trying to protect his reputation. He's not trying to protect what is his. No, instead, he understands this is more important. I'm an ambassador of reconciliation. I'm an ambassador of Christ. And I have the message of the gospel that I want to bring to people more than anything. Friends, if you want to be used during these difficult times, if you want to be used as an ambassador of reconciliation, you need to realize that you can't be obsessed with your rights or your reputation. I'm going to say it again. How do you want to be used during this time of unrest? You want to sit on the sidelines and wait for just life to improve? I personally do not. I don't know when it will improve or if it will improve. But I realize that my clock is ticking and I only have a certain amount of days on earth to serve the Lord with the life that he's given me. And during these times, if you want to be used as an ambassador of Christ, as an ambassador of reconciliation, you can't be obsessed with your rights or your reputation. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you can't care about your rights or your reputation. Paul cared about both. Uh, In fact, uh, we haven't gotten there yet, but if you look in Acts 25, uh, you'll soon see that the only reason he's able to make an appeal to the Roman emperor is because he plays the rights card, right? Because he's a Roman citizen and he has the right to do that. So Paul was aware of his rights. Uh, Paul exercised his rights, but he wasn't obsessed with them. It wasn't the first thing that came to his mind is, how will this affect me? How will this affect my rights? They're a thing in his life, but they're not the first thing on his mind. That's why he says what he says in in 1 Corinthians 9. He starts out that chapter uh, talking about all the rights that he has that he chooses not to exercise for the sake of the gospel. And then later on in 1 Corinthians 9, he says this in verse 19. It's also in your outline. He says, for though I am free from all... I have made myself a servant to all. Why? That I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. Like, what do you want? I'll become whatever I need to become so long as I can glorify God and win people to Christ. He says, I have become all things 
to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. On his mind is the sake of the gospel. That's what he's doing these things for. He's saying, I'll do all of these things so that by some means, any, almost any means necessary, I would be able to let these people know the good news of Jesus Christ so that they might be saved. In January of 2017, I had the privilege of attending the March for Life in Washington, D.C., and uh, I brought one of my kids with me. I had Justin with me on that particular year. And um, this is just days after President Trump was inaugurated. And we show up and we attended a conference uh, that I try to go to each year and then participate in the March for Life. And so the March for Life starts out as a rally on the National Mall, and then you walk uh, from that point all the way up to the Supreme Court steps. And when you get to the steps of the Supreme Court, uh, it is a peaceful protest, but it's a full-on protest. Like, it's, it's pretty intense. You, could, you can feel the tension. And, of course, it's the March for Life, right? So the pro-lifers uh, way outnumber, like, by far and away, by those who are protesting who are saying that they want to keep abortion legal. Um, but still, it's a protest, and it gets pretty tense at that particular point. And I remember being there, and we had walked, and we got to the steps of the Supreme Court, and I saw kind of in the corner, there was this older lady screaming at like three or four kids, and the kids were holding signs, and they were, uh, they were pro-life. I think they were from a, a Catholic school. They were all wearing kind of the same t-shirts. And when I, I walked over to see what was going on, and they were talking, uh, actually not about abortion, but they were talking about President Trump who, again, had just recently been inaugurated. And uh, the kids were talking about President Trump like he was the fourth member of the Trinity. Uh, This older lady was talking about President Trump like he was uh, Satan himself. And I don't really, I didn't know President Trump, hadn't watched him, but I was pretty sure he was somewhere in between those, right? Like he was not a member of the Trinity, but also probably not Satan himself. And so uh, I'm listening as they're talking and yelling. It's interesting, They're, they're there for the sanctity of human life, yet... Nobody's talking about the signs that they're holding. She's holding the classic blue sign, keep abortion legal, that we've seen for years. And nobody's talking about babies or the sanctity of human life. They're just arguing over Trump. And so eventually, uh, to make a long story short, the kids leave, and I start to engage this lady in a conversation. She has a thick European accent. I can't place it. Um, but I'm, I'm listening to her, and she's yelling. And to be honest with you, she's not making a lot of sense. She's going to say that straight up. Like she, what she was saying sounded kind of loony. It, 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 it didn't connect. Um, she was very, very, very emotional. And she was talking about how uh, our president is the exact same as Hitler and is going to do terrible, terrible things in this world and is going to wipe out large amounts of people and saw him as a fascist dictator. And what she was saying, she couldn't prove what she was saying. Uh, Obviously, she can't see the future. She couldn't really back up what she was saying, but she felt this very, very intensely and very deeply. And I just have to be honest with you. It would have been easy just to, like, totally debunk what she's saying, right? Like, she's not really good at what she's saying. She's not good at proving a point. It would have been so easy to just, like, say, well, no and no and no, and this doesn't make sense and that doesn't make sense, and those two things don't connect, so I don't know what you're talking about. But instead, I just started to listen more. And I said, I, I said, you have an accent. I said, where are you from? And she said that she was from Poland. And I said, oh, okay. I said, I've, 
I've been to Europe uh, several times, but I've never, I've never actually been to Poland. And she said that, uh, I, I asked her, I said, if you don't mind asking, how old are you? And she said that she was born, I think it was in the early 40s. And I said, so why do you, why are you saying these things? Like, help me understand why you feel the way you feel. And she started to explain. She put her sign down, and she looked down, and she looked up, and she started to, with tears in her eyes, explain to me how when she was a very, very, very little girl, she was orphaned because her parents and all her immediate family uh, perished in the concentration camps. And she started to say that she has, has, has seen this coming for America and thinks that this is going to happen again. And, and I said... Wow, that's really, really hard. I said, that's, I've never been through anything like that before in my life. I said, that sounds really, really sad. And she said it was sad and started to talk more about it. And again, she's a little more coherent now, but still not, not much. And I said, you, you seem very afraid. And she just... <sighs> She put her head down, and she just started to cry. And she said, I just don't understand how they could vote for this person when he's going to do this. Again, it just started to not make sense again. And so I put my hand on her shoulder. Pre-COVID, you could do something like that. I put my hand on her shoulder, and I said, you know what? I said, and I motioned towards the White House down the street. I said, I don't really put my trust in anyone who sits in there. I pointed to the Capitol building because there's a street that runs between the Capitol building and the Supreme Court. It's right there. I said, I don't really put my trust in anybody who sits in there. I said, I I vote, I care, but that's not, if I don't have fear, it's not because of who's in there. And I pointed to the Supreme Court and I said, or because of who's in there. I said, I I don't sleep better at night because of who occupies any of those buildings. I said, I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for my salvation, whom God sent, it was his son, who lived a perfect life and died on the cross for a sinner like me. And so I'm literally trusting him with my life and with my death. I'm putting all my eggs in that one basket. And because I've trusted in him for my salvation, because I trust in him to pay the price for my sins, I sleep better at night and don't live in a life of fear because he's taken care of my biggest problem. I said, I still care about things. I'm holding a sign walking in the March for Life. I certainly want to be active. I certainly care about the things that happen in our country and in our world. I said, but my faith is in Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross for a sinner like me and for sinners like you. And I said, if you, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can be saved. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved and have your biggest problem. The biggest problem you have is the odds that you're at with a holy God. You can have that taken care of because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for sinners like you and like me. That is the gospel. That's, that's the good news. And she listened, and she was listening intently, and we had a good conversation. And then I prayed with her, 
and we went our separate ways. Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, there were several different ways I could have handled that conversation. I could have, she was screaming at me for screaming, which again doesn't make sense. Like, I, I wasn't screaming anyway, but she's like, how can you protest? How can you scream? So I could have defended my rights and started quoting things from the Constitution and told them why I have the right to protest and the right to free speech and the right to gather peacefully, which is what we were doing. But I didn't do that. Um, we could have gotten into a discussion more about uh, President Trump and how I think he'll end up doing and why she hates him and, and all this other stuff. Like, we could have gotten into that. But I'm not really, or I, I could have defended the cause of the evangelical right or the cause of pro-lifers, all things that I care about deeply. But I'm first an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I'm first an ambassador of reconciliation. And if I want to be used by God, I can't be obsessed with my rights or my reputation. If I was obsessed with my rights and my reputation, what would I have done? I would have spoken about my rights. I would have started defending reputations. I would have missed out on an opportunity to meet a very hurting person and present them with the only truth that they really needed to hear. And that wasn't the truth about a movement or a political party or a certain politician. It was the truth about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so if you want to be used by God during a time of significant unrest, I think you'll miss out on opportunities if you are obsessed with your rights or your reputation because you'll just be looking for opportunities to defend your rights or your reputation and you won't see the opportunities that are afforded you to make much of Jesus Christ. And finally, all of this is really not about being like Paul. It's about being like our Savior. You need to be like your Savior instead of yourself. Who, who pointed to God the Father more than Jesus Christ the Son, right? Who is willing to participate with others, live a life as if he were a sinner, living a life, among, but he wasn't a sinner, living a life among sinners, stepping down from heaven, entering the world through the humblest of means, and then living a perfect life, but in a very imperfect, sin-cursed world, participating with us. Who was willing to pay a price that he didn't have to ultimately pay? He was willing to do that because he was obedient and because he was an ambassador of grace and truth. And so you need to be like your Savior and not like yourself. And I want to close with Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and following. Paul says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. And so friends, during times like these, it's my hope and my prayer 
that we will make much of Jesus Christ, especially during times when they're most uncertain and we're experiencing so much unrest. May we use this time well to be ambassadors of reconciliation for the sake of the gospel. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the example that we have set before us in the Apostle Paul. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word so that we can see what you've done in his life, how you worked through his ministry to reach other people. But more importantly than that, we are grateful for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The greatest example of humility we have, the greatest reflection we have of the glory of God, the greatest example of somebody willing to participate in situations that he doesn't have to participate in, to pay a price that certainly wasn't his to pay for anything he did, but he humbled himself even to the point of death, even to be obedient to you and to save sinners like us. Lord, help us see opportunities to defend to stick up for, and to advocate for that which matters most, that we might be agents of reconciliation, ambassadors of reconciliation for the sake of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my Savior on that cursed tree his body bound and drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance sealed by heavy stone Messiah still and all
blazing sun shall pierce the night and I will rise among the saints my gaze transfixed on Jesus face oh praise the name of the His name forevermore, for endless days we will sing your praise, O Lord, O Lord, our God. Oh, praise, oh, praise the name of the Lord, our God. Oh, praise His name forever. Let's be like our Savior and imitate him who would lay down his life to save sinners. Have a great Father's Day.